0: Hey everybody, Jason here. Before we start the show, I just want to give a quick announcement. I don't know if you heard, but on Friday, May 20th, 2022, there was a, I, maybe it was a glitch, maybe it was hack for Drive RPG one bookshelf, where people ha- were able to have rights that they shouldn't have had, and some titles were messed with, prices changed, we don't know exactly all what was done, According to one bookshelf, you know they don't believe that customer account data was compromised. But for your own safety, there's no harm in changing your password. And hopefully, you're using different passwords for different sites. For sites that offer two-factor authentication, you should definitely use that. Drive through RPG to their shame does not offer two-factor authentication. Um, but yeah, use password managers. There's a ton of good ways out there to protect your data. The other thing is never save your credit card data to these sites. Um, but yeah, just be aware the site. There was a security issue at Through, and, you know, it would be prudent to change your password. In my opinion, mind you, I am a Luddite and not tech savvy. So, you know, if I'm wrong in putting this message out, feel free to call me and I'll play your show or play your message. But with that said, Let's get into the show. What pops up a beer or a cold libation. Let me tell you how I wrote this little theme. I went and took a call from Brother Jason, and he tells me that he has a little dream. He says he needs a backwards intro to begin his podcast, and I ask him what you got. He said, I'll start off with some talking and some movie clips and popcorn fighting, fantasy explorations and some groundness exploitation. starts that I'm watching and some blind unboxing, full month horror movie marathon. Sometimes I'll let the box come on, Contest and the course you know it's all
1: about games. I said, slow down, let's just start with the name. It's, it's the Nerds
2: RPG Variety Podcast.
0: Okay. the other Jason. Hey everybody, welcome back to Nerds RPG Cast. I'm your host Jason. Today I've got a bunch of calls. In fact, I have a bunch of other calls as well. If you called in about virtual tabletops or my little political rant, that is actually going to be next episode. And then the episode after that, we're going to have the awards show. So if you haven't sent an con- uh, entry in for the contest, time is running out. The deadline is the 25th of May, 2022. What contest, you ask? I'm running a contest where you get to nominate a Nicolas Cage movie you think would make a good RPG scenario or module. Just reach out to me. Tell me what Nick Cage movie you think would be a good RPG adventure and a little bit on why. If you want to nominate a system, you can. You definitely don't have to. You can leave me a message using the Anchor app. You can go follow the Anchor link to my internet website for my Anchor show and leave a message there. You can send an email to nerdsrpgvarietycastgmail.com If you attach an audio file to it, I'll play it on there and make you famous. You can also reach out to me on a variety of different discords. Get those entries in. I will play or read all the entries during the award show and then I will use a random number generator. I'll put all, everybody that sends an entry, and I'll put your name in a hat. Draw a name out, and that random winner will get a twenty dollars drive-through RPG gift certificate. You you have already changed your passwords, right? And they will. I will also donate twenty dollars to a local charity to them. I'll work with them to find like a food bank or a children's hospital or cancer research, something like that. We can donate money to that we can agree on. We both feel good about. So re reach out to me, give me those entries. Time is running out. Before we get to the calls today, I want to talk about a game I played this morning. I've been able to play in a couple games recently, but I really want to talk about the one this morning. It was run by Carl Rodriguez. The other players were Arlen Walker of Live from Helms Wasteland and Carl's wife, Amy. Of course, you know Carl and Amy from The Geomologist Presents. And if you listen to Geomologist Presents, you know he recently interviewed Eric Lamaru, who did the Wise Guys game. And one thing they talked about there is an, a new product Eric's working on called Boomstick. And Boomstick is effectively kind of like his homage to the Evil Dead movies, only in this case you're playing a rock band, you're not playing Ash. So we actually ran the jumpstart for Boomstick this morning. It's free on DriveThruRPG. Go check it out by just insert imagination is the name of the company. But if you go to DriveThru and put in Boomstick, you'll find it. It's a lot of fun. We had a great time. You know, our band got sucked into hell and had to figure out how to get back out. And, you know, it's really thematic. We had a lot of fun with our characters, a lot of role play. It uses Savage Worlds, which is one of my favorite systems. Savage Worlds actually actually worked really well with this system. It, you, you know, was a natural. Highly recommend you and your group check out this jump start and then watch for the final product because, of course, the final product's going to have a ton more stuff in there. But, it you know, the idea of playing a band of... Now, initially, he pitched this as a band of average nobodies who get sucked into fighting demons. The characters in the quick start aren't quite nobodies. They're, they're actually pretty competent people with, with some unusual skills, right? But it, it was still, it was a lot of fun and highly recommended. Just like I highly recommend Wise Guys. Go check out Wise Guys as well. Wise Guys is really using Savage Worlds to play Casino or like a heist movie. Like that movie, what was the movie with all the Elvises? Where everybody played an Elvis and they robbed the bank. You know, that movie. So, I'll I'll think of it here in a minute, but but yeah, go ch- Gr- Graceland. So many miles to Graceland, or something like that. Anyway, now will give you guys something to call, call in and tell me what movie that is. But check out Wise Guys. Check out Boomstick. And yeah, if you haven't played Savage Worlds, check it out because Savage Worlds is a pretty great game. But with that little plug for Boomstick, I'm actually going to go to just to the calls now because. There are some really great calls, and I've got a a good amount of them, which is wonderful. I love getting calls. I feel that my show has kind of become, you know, your, it's like the editorial page or the pages and the comments of a blog, and people are commenting back and forth and queuing off, riffing off other people's calls, things like that, and I love that. So I love when I get calls. Please, you know, call in all those ways. I said you could enter my contest. You can also send messages to my show that way, and I'll get them on the air. So let's get to some of those calls. Who's on the
1: phone? Who's on the phone? Who's on the phone? Who's on the phone? Well, maybe it's your auntie or cook it by
0: your spouse, but the operator scream is coming from inside the house. Episode 350 of this podcast was a tipsy discussion, a tipsy talk with Eric Salzwito, the Omega 3D Chicken Coop podcast, a good buddy of mine who I've pl- both played in his games. He's played in my games. We've played in games together. Um, and anyway, we talked about the challenges you face when running sci-fi games. And then we kind of got talking about movies and books. And we kind of got in the weeds and talked about a variety of different things. So these first
3: set of calls regard that podcast. I haven't finished your podcast yet, and maybe you'll get to it, but I'm screaming at my phone. Shawshank Redemption. No, it's not Harlan Ellison. It's Philip K. Dick you're thinking of. And uh, he does have quite a few movies made. Uh, let's say there's Screamers and Total Recall and Minority Report and Do Androids Dream of Electric Shape, uh, a.k.a. Blade Runner and Scanner Darkly. Maybe a few others. But uh, Second Variety was made into one. Um, but also uh, Richard Matheson has a whole bunch of movies made off of his books, too um everything from what dreams may come and the incredible shrinking band to uh uh, gosh i can't think of the other ones off top of my head but there's a bunch of them oh um i am legend a couple times i think three times now so yeah but i think king probably beats them all
1: Phew, you got there i'm proud of you Yo, just got finished listening to the sci-fi episode, and I thought that was awesome. You guys did a really cool job. I mean, you got a little bit into the weeds, a little deep there in the weeds at the end, but that part was amazing. I'm super glad you decided not to cut it or change it at all. That was great, and Eric got me super pumped to watch Monster Squad again. I don't remember the language either, but I need to watch it now. So, great job, dudes. And yeah, I... All that stuff Eric said that they were all the same, um, you know, detractors from me running sci-fi games. That's why I never really did as a kid, except for Cyberpunk. That's that's the only even sci-fi tangential RPGs I've ever run or really ever played. Weird, anyway, man. Good stuff. Peace out. That
0: was Ray Otis of the Plundergrounds Podcast who also does the coffee cup clip art for the show. Thank you very much, Ray. And Joe of the Hindsightless podcast. I want to thank you both for calling in on that subject. I'm glad you listened to the interview. Uh, yeah, I haven't re-listened to it. I'm sure it gets a little bit dicey there at the end. I was kind of in into, into my cups, as they say. Uh, Ray, I think we did correct that at the end, and, and I apologize to you know, the memory of Philip K. Dick for confusing him with Mr. Ellison. But yeah, fun stuff. I always enjoy talking to Eric and I always enjoy talking about these kind of topics. Okay, let's go to the next set of
4: calls. You know, this initiative, uh, this Doctor Who initiative sounds really interesting, but to me, it actually sounds like phases like Hyperborea or BX or ODD at that, right? You, the GM says everything that's happening currently. Everybody states their action, I'm going to yell over to him to do this, I'm going to move, I'm going to shoot my bow, and then all the action takes place. So, yeah, I think maybe just side initiative with uh, phases would solve that problem, and it is actually in, at least as an option, in most versions of d I don't think that it's optional in 5e as an official thing, so I probably wouldn't necessarily... Well, that's not true. I would say, I was about to say I wouldn't necessarily do that, but in my group, when we ran my 5e campaign, we did side initiative. So about halfway through the three year campaign, we switched and we actually liked it a lot better. So there you go. Yeah, it's interesting. But I agree with you, of course. I, I think that if you are looking for a very specific thing in a game, then you should play a game that gives you that, not try to change other games or other people to that system. Of
0: course, that was Daniel of the Bandits Keep Media Empire. And he was referring to some talk we had about initiative, which kind of was brought on by John, who calls in at the end of the show. John doesn't have podcasts, so I can't refer you to other works of his other than calling into my show and Daniel's show. But he was talking about, he would like to see, and John was talking about, he would like to see an initiative where all the players describe what's going on, and then the GM parses that out and and, and decides what order things happen in, which, and then we refer to, of course, to Powered by the Apocalypse, because that kind of fits in really well with that. But like Daniel said, you could also, you know, move other systems around to accommodate that kind of thing. Doctor Who has a thing, not the new Doctor Who that's coming out that's based on 5E. I do not know how that initiative will be. That might work that way. But the original Doctor Who that Cubicle 7 has done... um, has a, a deal where your your talking stuff goes before your physical stuff and the idea you can talk your way out of things or, or whatnot what you know which is very true to this to those shows so daniel has some more to say though so let's i'm going to kick the ball back to daniel
4: all right so i'm thinking we could do a firefly game using boot hill as the main system and then add psionics from odnd you know, the spaceships are not really a big deal as far as the show is concerned. Like you mentioned, it's more cinematic. What you really want is the fights, the gunfights, and River's powers.
0: Daniel, I totally agree on the things you want to mirror from the Firefly TV show. And in fact, I was having a conversation earlier today as I record this with Carl Rodriguez of the Geomologist Presents podcast and Arlen Walker of the live from Pelms Wasteland podcast, and we're talk. There's, as you may know, there's a Cowboy Bebop Kickstarter. Well, there's, well, there is a Cowboy Bebop Kickstarter coming out for a Cowboy Bebop role playing game, but there's a play test of the rules out on Drive Through RPG now, which actually is going to feed into your next call. But we talked about how you know Cowboy Bebop is effectively roughly the same tech level give or take a little bit as firefly or even like the expanse or you know you've got a lot of worlds there that kind of more or less are about the same tech level there are some differences in there but effectively you could use the same set of rules for any of those you know you could use traveler you could use um that that system that harn brought up it's not space harn but it's whatever but they've done a horrible job in editing it so I don't recommend you buy that from Columbia Games we ran it for a while and the book is just it needs like two more passes by an editor before it deserves to be sold the fact they're selling it's just a you know it's a tragedy but there are a ton of systems out there that can actually do firefly or these but I think you distilled it down really you don't need now if we watch like cowboy bebop there are some some sequences where they're fighting with the spaceships. So you would need some spaceship rules for Cowboy Bebop. But Firefly, you really don't. You're right. If you watch that series, Firefly, I mean, there are some ship maneuvers, but I think you could do that pretty easily. The vast majority of everything in Firefly is really man-to-man kind of stuff. It's not ship-to-ship. The psionics, you you could bring in like OD&D or 1st edition psionic kind of thing. I think I would probably find a, a simpler way to do psionics. I think I would just... Bring in a system where you just have these powers, and you can, and you have so many points, you, you know, power points or sonic points or whatever you want to call them, and, and they use them, and you know that's how many points you can use that day. And, and I would let the player with psionics also tap into maybe their constitution or you know another stat. They could they could effectively do burn a, one of their stats to power their ability. So it would weaken them if they push themselves beyond the limit, right? Where they push themselves too far, that's when their news starts bleeding, and and they might pass out from the exertion. So I would want that kind of mechanic built into there. Um, and, and OD&D psionics might do that. I haven't looked at that for a long time, or the ad and psionics, to be honest. Um, but I, I think I would try to find a, simp- a, a pretty simple, these are your powers, each costs this many PowerPoints, you have a PowerPoint pool, and you can burn, you know, you can burn down your statistics to power that once you burn through your powerpoints. Um, but yeah, good point. Now I mentioned this. Why do I mention the Cowboy Bebop play start or play play test? Well, because I've downloaded it and talked with Carl, and we're going to try to run that soon. So folks, look forward to hearing about the Cowboy Bebop play test, how it works. But more importantly, I mention it because it's free and. The fact that that playtest is free feeds into Daniel's next call.
4: Did you send Daniel um, Someone may have answered this already, but I'm behind. Uh, it, for and I'm going off memory here. The Pathfinder Two playtest was free to download as a PDF, as my understanding, but the printed book they charged for, and it wasn't cheap either, if I remember right. Uh, I remember they did it at Gen Con, and I was thinking to myself, "Wow, they're charging people for a playtest. That's kind of crazy." But of course as noted I believe I'm 99 percent sure that the PDF was free so it wasn't like you had to buy it but if you wanted that book maybe in some form of collectible it could have been considered then you would do it. I wasn't playing Pathfinder at the time so I did not bother to do it but I'm sure lots of people did and uh, yeah.
0: As I've said in the past I don't necessarily mind paying to get in on a on a um, play test of a game but I personally would like to see that money put into the playtest be available either, you know, for you get the complete game at a lower price or maybe, I mean, a lot of these are PDFs anyway. So if you buy the playtest and when the full one comes out, that playtest is, you know, replaced with the full price one or something. I don't know. I I would like to see something. I mean, like Carl's talked about, the Marvel game has playtest, has variant covers like comic books. And that's distasteful to a lot of people. Other people love collecting those kind of things. So they're kind of catering to their audience there. But, yeah, I I agree. It's kind of a... I don't know. I can see PDFs being free. Once you get to physical books, obviously there's a cost in printing physical books. So I I can't fault companies from selling physical books for the playtest. But the PDFs, yeah, I mean, you're helping them work the bugs out of their system, so... You know, they ought to throw you a bone a little bit, right?
4: Okay, back to Daniel. Hey, Jason, Daniel from Bandits Keep. Um, yeah, thinking about using the wounds or whatever, you could have a high level NPC, let's say a ninth level Ranger, like he has accomplished ninth level in Ranger, but now he's retired, he's out of shape, he's wounded, he's got hurt. Maybe he only functions now as a third level Ranger for like his hit points and his attack and stuff like that, but you might give him other skills that he, like his tracking might still be good or that kind of thing, something that's more mental or that he might be actually practicing still. What I heard once, and I don't know how true it is, is that they started putting high-level NPCs in all these modules because players would would see the TSR guys at conventions and be like, you know, not players, but GMs, and they'd say, oh, my players go into every town and just murder everybody. So um, I guess they put them in there to dissuade that type of play
0: that came out of a conversation where we were talking about how it was kind of odd that in a lot of the TSR D&D modules you would see oh the tavern keepers a level 8 fighter and the bar keeps a you know level 12 whatever and you know you're like why are all these high- level retired adventurers you know in the town but we I kind of like the idea of characters not only be able to increase and get better as they get older and more experienced, but also take wounds and scars and have problems. You know, you, you arthritis is going to kick in, you, you know, you, you might have phobias, your hands might start shaking, you might lose an eye, you, you know, physical problems. Look, look at a soldier after 20 years, anybody that served in, well, anybody in the, in the military really, but especially look at somebody like in the infantry or something like that. And, you know, their body is beat up. After, not even after twenty years, you you know I mean I only served eight years in the army and I'm beat up, right? So, I I think having that degradation, physical degradation, is realistic. But a lot of people don't find that very fun. But even if you don't do that for the player characters, you could definitely do it with the NPCs, and and that could be why these guys are retired because you know they they were adventurers, but because of injuries and and issues, that's why they retired. So I think that could be a kind of neat role playing thing you do. Uh, which you don't even have to change anything to do that because a lot of that's just fluff behind the scenes. Okay, now Daniel wants to talk about fumbles, and he brings up a really good point.
4: Uh, Jason, so I'm just going to jump in here because you're talking about the criticals and fumbles. I think that you're you're smooshing the two things together. Uh, Criticals do definitely benefit the monsters more because, again, you fight more monsters or the DM rolls more dice, they say. Uh, But fumbles also hurt the if you want to say hurt hurt the monsters more because again the DM rolls more dice. I think the reason why people don't they don't seem to care because it's like, okay, well who cares if that orcs sword breaks? I mean they're not a player character, right? So if their sword breaks, they're gonna die anyways. It doesn't matter. So maybe that's why people would say that. But I mean numbers wise, fumbles are just as bad for the bad guys. And I actually do use criticals and fumbles in my Head campaign using his uh his little chart and it works pretty well. He actually once you when you roll the fumble or the critical well, when you roll fumble, you oh, actually end the critical. You then roll on another chart based on your class, and things like fighters uh, are much less likely to have a real problem. I may have cut myself off there. Uh, things like fighters are more likely, to, or less likely to have a problem, and more likely to do more damage. Like if you roll on their critical chart, they're much more likely to do things like triple damage than even a monster, right? But a uh, but when they fumble, they're much less likely to do something like hit the. Uh, hit an ally. Whereas somebody like a magic user, who's, you know, in theory, the worst fighter, right? They're more likely to do just like plus two damage when they do a critical and more likely to stab an ally if they get a fumble. <laughs> and monsters are somewhere in the middle. So, yeah, I think that uh, you could do something like that, which would balance it out. You're probably right. I was just, I was just going off the cuff with the uh, rolling uh, rolling every time with the arrow thing. If you get a one, you don't get it. I was thinking like DCC with dis- disapproval. But uh, I think what you're saying is, yeah, you could confirm it. But I still think it would be a one, one the first combat, a one or two the second combat, and so on. Otherwise, you'd never have it happen.
0: Great point there, Daniel. You're right about fumbles. Of course, I really like the system of having the more unique tables, and I don't think that's such a hazard. I know a lot of people are thinking, "Well, now I'm it's Rollmaster. I have all these charts, and I'm flipping back and forth." But all you do is you each player manages their own tables. So each player manages their own fumble and critical tables just like the magic user manages their own spells and all that. And, yeah, that's how Rollmaster. that's the way to make that work really well is is each player has the charts for their weapons in front of them and that way when they go to attack, you're not paging back and forth throughout the book at all the different tables. Each player has the tables for their equipment in front of them. Just like Dungeon Crawl Classics, yeah, you have you know, uh, something the size of the phone book full of spells because each spell is a page or two. But realistically, if the magic user just has the spells they own there in front of them, then or if, you know, here's the easy button for DCC, and you've heard me say this before, use the crawler app by by Purple Sorcerer. And you can find it. It's a free app. It's got a die roller on there. It's got all the DCC spells in there. It, it's it got th- turning, it's got the critical charts, the fumble charts. So if you're playing DCC, I was going to say, you just print off the spells that character has and put them in front of them. And that's all you need. But really all you need to do is put the crawler app on your phone and you know, that's the way to do that. But good, great points, Daniel. I, I really appreciate all the calls and all the thoughts. Next, we're going to switch gears. Go to Carl Rodriguez of the Gemologist Presents. Hey, Jason. Great point there,
5: Daniel. Hey, Jason. Thank you for the mention of Twilight 2000. I think with it being almost a year of the campaign, we really don't do a lot of rules things much anymore or rules discussions. The only thing that comes up is because some people can't grok the auto-fire ability uh, on their weapons. Um, But, you know, I just say how many how many um, bullets do you want to fire or how many you know how many bullets do you want to fire what do you want to use for your rate of fire and then they say tell me and I just click it on the character sheet and we go Um, but um, so i trying to work around it uh, for but I I really again it's not all the players and and most of the time we kind of know what to do most of the time now the players say I would like to push that role as opposed to me prompting which is a good thing. So we really don't have to look things up unless yeah, unless they're like specifics on weapons. And if that got cut off, that was rules for specific weapons or vehicles. You know, how much does a a jerry can weigh or how much fuel does it have? Things like that that, you know, I can... I know where they are in the book. It's just a question of finding them in the book or PDF. I don't know if that's necessarily rules, but more... Specific details for immersion in the game because I think in T2K you know you want things to be as realistic as possible and have plausible explanation uh, for things. And the GM should have it. You know, uh, you know, kind of as I've heard comment. I don't know exactly where, but some time ago, um, in one of Shea Webster's podcasts, where you know the GM should have the answer. And uh, sometimes you gotta look up these details for the players. For example, why a cell phone would work when there's no satellites. And uh, the players found that out, and it made sense because I had the answer. So, um, yeah. I think um, I will send a call on the other thing I was going to say. Maybe. Anyway, as we miss you in T2K, Amy's actually been keeping your character going um, and giving you XP. There's a lot of XP that you actually have to spend. I think she spent them too to help you with some, I can't remember with what, something pretty important. Uh, Maybe like recon or something that always comes up um, because Amy's becoming pretty savvy um, on the technical aspect of the game. And as she's always has been with the role-playing part. Um, So... Anyway, I'll talk to you later. First of
0: all, I want to thank Amy for keeping my character Sam from the T- Twilight 2000 game going and taking care of him. I appreciate that. I agree that there are times to look things up and there are times aren't there aren't. I, I think some things probably don't need to be looked up during the game. Things like the weights and all that. Hopefully you'll that on a chart somewhere. So you're not Googling weights of this and that and and you know there's not I won't say there's nothing worse but I will say there's nothing worse than being in a game and like well what's a jerry can uh, full of diesel way well let me look and then five minutes later you know people are googling and looking and so the game is now dr- you know drug to a halt uh, and the same thing kind of like the cell phone thing if you know ahead of time or you've already researched so they say well why don't cell phones work and, and you can just answer them that's one thing but if we're having to pause the game to, to look it up and to talk about satellites and, and and to research that? That's a problem. Now, I doubt that's what happened. I have a feeling you already knew because you've read the background and you know you kind of already know how cell phones work anyway. So you probably were able to just off the top of your head do that with them. So that's a non-issue. But I, I do think stopping the game to look up specific details, especially if it takes a little bit of time, can, can be a bad thing. Um, But, I mean, it depends on the group because, uh, you know, some groups will just roll with that. It's not an issue, and a lot of these our groups are social groups. But but I think it can break you out of the game, and then you have to, okay, we've got the answer now. Let's get back into the game. And then you have to get back in your game mindset to to resume the game. I do not think that's insurmountable. I definitely think you can do it. But I I think it's probably better if you don't have to do that.
5: Yeah, I think fatigue in a game – I think you'd only want that if it's exciting or interesting to the game, right? Um, something that Arlen Walker posted on the Discord the other day about, you know, just getting to the the meat and potatoes of the game and the exciting bits and not really worrying about the boring parts. And for some people, the travel, the, you know, the minutia, the, you know, the uh, keeping track of rations and arrows and water is not the fun part, but the kind of more boring part and fatigue could fall into that category, but Hey, it could be important. Um, you know, if it comes to a fight after you've been marching all day, and I think a system that does a great job of that is jackals because, uh, you roll for survival while you travel. And if you fail, you accumulate, uh, you lose metal, which hurts hit points. So I have a couple a couple other things to say. Um, I wanted to talk about um, exhaustion in D&D 5e, which is not very often used. I know of one game that really emphasizes its use, especially during travel. And exhaustion is pretty harsh, and I can see why in 5e you wouldn't use it. At level 1, you have disadvantage on ability checks. At level 2, speed is halved. At level 3, you have disadvantage on attack and saving throws. At level 4, your hit point maximum is halved. At level five, your speed is reduced to zero, and then you die at level six. So it is pretty harsh. And um, it, if you wanted to bring a gritty nature and uh, that aspect exhaustion because of a lot of activity and uh, pressure on the, on the player characters uh, is there, then uh, that would really work uh, to give it that, that sort of feel that you're, uh, you're being harried and harrowed and gotta fight. The other thing is about retirement. Um, I can think of two games that do a great job of that, uh, Pendragon and Jackals. In Pendragon, if, we, if you play like a generational campaign, um, then eventually your character will retire and pass things on to their uh, sons and daughters. In Jackals, if you get too famous, you inevitably retire. So it's whether it's retirement because you feel your character has completed their story arc um, which can be done through the, um, you know, the the kind of seasonal activities, the in-between time, and uh, and or they get too famous, they get to like nine cleos, and then uh, that's when the, the game says that uh, well, it's time for you to retire and leave it to the other jackals to take up the mantle. So they, I think some games do a great job of it, but you are right in uh, in D and D, they really don't talk about uh, about that.
0: Carl, thank you for all those different thoughts. I kind of agree with you. Fatigue is only needed if it's interesting, and I don't know that it's interesting in a lot of games. So I don't think we need to force it in there where it's not there, like AD&D first edition, right? There's no real reason to force it in there um, because it's kind of figured into hit points and whatnot anyway. As far as the exhaustion mechanic in the later editions in D&D, yeah it's that sounds pretty punishing and I know Colin over at Spike Pit has talked about that and using that in the past, although I, I don't think those episodes are up anymore because well, you know more and more podcasters are curating their back catalogs and taking down content and then the listeners can't hear it anymore. But as far as your last point with the retirement, yeah, some games do it better than others. As far as D&D, you cut yourself off there. I don't know about new editions of D&D. I, kn- I know that in AD&D, first edition, and even in BX and, and especially in like Beckme, right, you've got a path that you're traveling and to the point where you become name level and now you're going to establish a stronghold of some sort and become landed and all that. And then you can still adventure some but you're eventually going to get to the point where you become a patron, and then really you'd want to make new new characters. Now with Beckme, as you well know, Carl, they had adventures for master level and immortals because in in Beckme you could be, you could eventually elevate yourself up and become an immortal, and and they even had immortal level adventures. But most folks probably once you establish that domain and, and have got that, some people want to play domain play, some don't. You know, where I say domain play, like where you're running lands and, and in charge of a bunch of people and all that. Some people want that, some don't. So that's going to depend on the group, how much of that you do. But I really appreciate the, those calls. The other thing you mentioned, as far as how interesting it is to track individual things or use the usage dice, yeah, it's really going to depend on the group. Um, but we do have some other calls about usage dice, so I'm going to switch those now.
4: Hey Jason, ten for minutes, keep. Um, You know, I was thinking as I was listening to the rest of the podcast here about the usage die, which we already know where I stand on there. But one of the other things, too, based on this kind of conversation that, that, that I see, is that the usage die also, on some level, takes away player choice. If I go into a combat and I have, let's say, five arrows left, I can choose to shoot two of those arrows knowing I have three left for the final combat. But if I have my lowest usage die, then I'm gambling. And I don't know, and and my choice doesn't matter. I might as well shoot as many times as I can because it's not going to matter one way or the other. And I'm all about player choice making all the difference in the game, so I think that's another reason why I'm just not a huge fan of it. It is raining really hard. I don't know if you can hear that or not.
2: So the argument for usage dice has come down to can you replicate a throwaway moment in an overproduced and overdirected Hollywood blockbuster? But I do really like the idea that if you roll a natural one in combat, you immediately have to roll your usage die. And you also roll your usage die as normal at the end of combat. So
0: that was Daniel first, and then John second on usage die. Uh, I, I still th- I think usage die are useful for measuring unknown length effects or, you know, things that you, you just don't know, you don't have control over how long that torch is really going to burn, how long that spell is really going to last, you, you know, how long that disease is going to hold you until the fever breaks, that kind of thing. I, am not a fan of usage guy for counting beans and bullets personally, um, but I, I do appreciate the, the calls. Um, I think in the, the times when it's unknown, when it's a Variable effect, and you're using the usage die to track that. I don't think that hurts player agency, but I can see where Daniel's going with that thought if you use it for arrows, for example. Now John is going to piggyback off the usage die.
2: But this usage die controversy certainly is a great example of the way people tend to fixate on certain types of play depending on what they're looking for. In certain types of campaigns, counting up beans, no matter what they represent, is important. But I don't want to see that. I want to play a cinematic heroic role-playing game. Conversely, I actually am working on a game where literally every tiny scrap of cloth and every pebble you find And every morsel of food becomes important. It's sort of a cross between Naked and Afraid, Kingdom Death Monster, and a DCC funnel. But it's not going to be for everyone and I recognize that. And I'd like to point out that I'm certainly not averse to bean counting when it's important. I played War in Europe, War in the East, War in the West. I played Campaign for North Africa. And I always volunteered to handle the logistics and the production. I created my own spreadsheets to handle War in Europe's production. And another one for Campaign from North Africa. So it just depends on the game you want to play. But to, for me, that doesn't belong in heroic role playing. John Lennon again. If you like movies, you should be following Terry Talks Movies on YouTube. He's got an amazing number of videos already, and he's always coming out with new ones. He's a true movie aficionado and historian. He's not a critic per se, he's not trying to impress you with his knowledge and convince you that he could have made Citizen Kane better if he had only been given the chance. He does provide his opinions, but mainly he just provides an incredible amount of information and detail about movies, both famous ones and ones you might not have heard of.
0: John, thank you for those thoughts. Yeah, I think it comes down to you have to pick the game system that's going to you know, help emulate the game you want to play. If you're in inter- if you and your group want to play a game that's gritty and wants to count beans and bullets and all these kind of things, then you pick a system that does that. If you want that cinematic action game where you're not worried about that, then I think you pick a game that allows you to do that. And the the great thing is we're in the golden age of role-playing games right now where there are so many games out there, there's no doubt a game out there that will let you emulate exactly what you what you're looking for. So and with the internet, it's easier than ever to search for reviews of games to find out which game you know you should concentrate on buying. So there's definitely a, a wealth of things out there and, and there's no better time to be a gamer as far as availability of things goes. As far as your last call there, always interested to check out new movie review podcasts or actually in this case a YouTube show so I will go check that out thank you for the recommendation that's all we have for you today folks thank you to all my callers I thanked Ray Otis earlier in the show but I also want to thank TJ Drennan who does the wonderful music for this show and like I mentioned earlier if you called in about VTTs that is going to be in the next episode because I have so many calls about VTTs So if you called reference that episode, you'll hear those calls, plus some responses to my little political rant. That's going to be next episode. Thank you so much for tuning in. I appreciate all of you, and I look forward to talking to you soon. Take care.
3: Phone. Maybe it's your auntie or a joke about your spouse, but the operator's screaming it's coming from inside the house. What's in the box?
4: What's in the box? What's in the box?
1: What's in the box? In the
4: box?
1: Well, the audience is pretty sure he took a pretty head, and the only question left is if that it'll see him dead. Bring on the gold, bring on the gold. There is a dustbin in your by the tipper And I'm assuming that your partner
2: back there in the woods Don't
1: look away Don't look away Don't look away
3: Don't look away Well the zombies are arising and the world has gone to hell. We're living for the dying and we're dying for the train wreck